Right. Oh, yeah. Big time. I mean, because ever since I was in, you know, T-ball, all I wanted to do was play for the Red Sox. And, you know, I put, you know, all of my energy, my heart, my soul, everything into to getting up to the pro level and then being the best there was. I felt like at one point I was on my way and I was I was doing real well and I was really confident in, in my ability. And um, I think others were too. I think others could see that, you know, I was on the, the track Fenway to be in the big leagues. Um, so I think that was, that was tough that, you know, something like this, I had to just, you know, swallow up my pride here and, and just say, you know, I can't do this anymore. I just gotta, I gotta give it up. This is Ryan Westmoreland, former Boston Red Sox prospect, and you're listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete's story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Thanks for tuning in to the Heads and Tails podcast. This week, I'm excited to bring you Ryan Westmoreland, uh, who a, was a fifth-round draft pick by the Boston Red Sox at a high school back in 2008. Uh, Ryan had a phenomenal rookie season with the uh, Lowell Spinners of the Class A Short League, where he batted 296 uh, with seven home runs, 35 RBIs, and a 401 on-base percentage, and did all that in just 60 games. Uh, but unfortunately, a, a cavernous malformation in his brain cut his pro baseball career short. Uh, and he's lucky to be here to tell his story to us today. So, um, Ryan, thanks for coming on. And we are the same age. You know, I graduated high school in 2008, too. And we both have experienced some uh, brain surgeries, which most people our age, you know, don't have that experience. Uh, so I kind of feel a, a connection with you in that way. And we've both struggled in that transition to, you know, life after our, our sport is really taken away from us. So can you just start off uh, our conversation by kind of explaining to us what a, a cavernous malformation is and why they're dangerous? Sure. Um, so basically, um, in simple terms here, it's a, uh, it's a tangle of blood vessels um, and, and, Mine obviously bled multiple times, um, and the, the bleeding um, really affects the nerves and all that going to the brain, which obviously there's quite a bit of nerves in there. So um, my malformation was on my brainstem, which um, if you're familiar with how the brain looks, it's kind of where the all the nerves run down your spine. So um, the location of mine was really the the most difficult thing because there were, there were so many nerves involved and the surgeons and doctors didn't know exactly what was going to be affected. Okay. So these, I guess these malformations can be anywhere in the brain. You're just saying that yours happened to be near the brainstem. Right, right. Exactly. They could be anywhere in the brain. Mine was just, yeah, in the, in the worst possible spot. So. Okay. And, and how common is that? Like in the general population? Um, I think it's very, it's decently common to have one. I mean, I wouldn't say common. It's still a very rare disease. Um, but there's a lot of people that have them around the brain and they will never know, um, you know, because they don't either they don't bleed or if they do bleed, they're not in a, a very intense part of the brain. Um, so mind bleeding in such a tough spot um, led to all the all the symptoms and and stuff, and that's why this, you know deciding to have the surgery was such a tough call because we didn't know exactly what was going to be affected and what wasn't. Okay, 
uh, yeah, there's a bunch of uh, videos online that I, I watched your story, and it, it did seem like there was a lot of unknowns. And you know, you're definitely lucky how how you you turned out. It seems like. Um, so when did you start thinking that there was a problem? Um, I remember there was um, one day um, down in Florida before spring training uh, training started. Um, we were just out in the field stretching and. You know, I felt a little, a little tingle um, on my hand and my fingertips. And even the night before, um, I felt a little tingling. But, you know, I thought it was just my hand was just asleep. Um, so I went out the next day in spring training and we did a kind of some running around stretching. And you know, my whole my whole right side of my body was was numb, was tingling, felt very weak. And at that point, I, I knew, you know, this isn't, you know, your typical hand falling asleep. Something's going on here. So. I rushed into the uh, the medical staff and and they immediately shut me down and uh, sent me out to get an MRI. So, what was their initial thoughts? We you know what before they sent you to the MRI, did they think you were having a stroke or? Yeah, really. All they all they told me was okay. Based on what we're seeing, it's either your head or your neck. Um, and so that's really all they told me. Um, so I kind of went into the MRI having really no idea what was what was going to see you later um so yeah they they just said head or neck likely it's a it might have something to do with a nerve in your neck um so you know i was being optimistic i was like oh maybe it's just like a a pinched nerve in my neck and i'll be fine in a day or two um but yeah so it was kind of a downhill spiral there yeah so at that point initially it sounds like you weren't scared really no, no, I was. I was so young too. I, I really, I mean, I was in the middle of spring training. I felt great um, until that one day. So I thought, you know, maybe this is just nothing. I'll be fine. Right, and and you were coming off a great season too, right? Um, so you were kind of like at your, you know, your peak performance. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I had a great season the year before, and uh, you know, I was hearing um, from various people around spring training. You know, I could be. I could be moving up very quickly and I was just excited to get that opportunity and you know it was all it was all looking good until I think it was late February 2010 was when that first happened. Okay, so when you get to the hospital and they they do the MRI, you know like how do the doctors kind of come in and break the news to you and what's their prognosis? Well, he he really didn't say a whole lot um just cuz you know he was a uh who's a neurologist and he wanted me to see the neurosurgeons. Um, so he just showed me the image, um, me and the the doctor with the Red Sox. And um, we saw, we saw the MRI scan and you could see a big bright, um, looks like a golf ball right in the, the center of my brainstem. And um, obviously still being 18, 19, I had no idea. I mean, I knew it didn't belong there, but I didn't know what that was. Um, but you know, the doctor was very serious about it. And he's like, you know, he said, you need to go to you need to go see a surgeon right away, and he kind of left it there. Um, so again, I was kind of un. I, there was a lot of unknown. I didn't know exactly what it was or what was happening. He just said, you know, cavernous malformation, and I was I was so I had no idea. I mean, I I was I was yeah, a teenager, um, so I I just knew something was going on that was that was serious, um, and you know, he had a very he had a big sense of urgency of getting to see a surgeon. So that kind of put me in a place of, you know, what's going on here. I don't, I, I still really don't fully understand, but um, I'm still going to try to be optimistic until I hear otherwise. All right. And I mean, that's some big news to get 
you know, when you're 19 years old, like you, like you said, so, you know, what was your support group like at that moment? Like, was it just the Red Sox, you know, medical staff or like, when did you tell your parents and. Yeah. My, my first call, well, the Red Sox staff obviously knew about the first, um, cause I was down in Florida away from my family and everyone. Um, so they knew first, um, there was just a, you know, the very tight knit group up there that, you know, the, the front office knew about it, but no one else, no players, no coaches. Um, just the really high up people in the organization, um, and then I right away called my dad, obviously, because I wanted you know someone else. I wanted to be able to tell someone what what was going on. Um, so and then he was just he was just shocked, um, and that's kind of when it really set in that something might be going on because he had an idea. And he knew kind of what was going on. You could tell the Red Sox staff kind of knew um, what this might mean. Um, so. Yeah, my first call was my dad, my mom. Um, so those two knew, and the Red Sox staff, and that was really it. I tried to tried to keep it private. Okay, um, yeah, I was just so. Do you think they were keeping stuff from you to kind of like maybe not scare you? Yeah, I, I think maybe initially, um, just because it was. I mean, it's very rare to to have something like this. Never mind to have to you know explain it to a to a nineteen year old who is a a pro baseball player and um really had never been injured a whole lot before then so it was, yeah i think i think initially they were maybe trying to hold back a little bit um just because you know it's so young and they, and they don't want to get into exactly what's going on yet right yeah that's similar things to me like i never i was never scared during my injury although i almost you know died also uh, but that's just because no one like told me the seriousness of it other than I knew I was getting head surgery. So it had to be yeah. pretty bad, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you were experiencing this, um, like the numbness and, you know, tingling from the, the cavernous malformation, but was that because it was bleeding at the time? And this was right. like, you always, you always had the cavernous malformation, but now it started bleeding and that's why. Exactly, exactly. The uh, the neurologist that saw was like, you know, he said, essentially, think of this as like a birthmark. You've always had the malformation. Um, it's just it's just bleeding right now. Um, so I was getting the symptoms based on, you know, the blood leaking out of the malformation and, you know, affecting the nerves that control, you know, feeling in my hand or, or weakness or stuff like that. So I've always had the malformation, um, but it was just then that it bled. Okay. Yeah, I was just curious. Um, so the next step, you know, I'm assuming was surgery. So, you know, can you kind of explain that process kind of going into your your comeback or uh, to the baseball field? Yeah. So um, we saw a few neurosurgeons. Um, so basically there was a big question uh, whether to do surgery and run the risk of, um, you know, cutting through all those nerves and getting to it um, in such a tricky location or just letting it wait and and hoping that it doesn't bleed again and the brain will absorb the blood and you could be back to normal um so it was really running the risk of you know waiting but it might be bleeding again or doing the surgery getting it out now but run the risk of you know going through all those nerves so that was that was a tough decision but eventually i decided you know i want i don't want to run the risk of it bleeding again because I'm seeing now what it can do. And at this point, I had lost my eyesight. I, I couldn't hear it in one year. So it was really affecting um, everything. And uh, so I had the surgery um, in March in Arizona. Um, and it was 
pretty grueling the the therapy the the stuff like that and eight hour surgery so i was out of it for quite some time and um but but it was very short after that i said you know no one's ever done something like this before and come back from an injury like this and gotten back to baseball um, at the pro level so i was you know i was very determined to to get back to who i used to be so you looked at it as more of a challenge you know like because I have a ton of people on here who have like ACL injuries and kind of more common injuries, but there's almost like a roadmap to success that you can kind of follow to see other people have done it before. So you're kind of like paving your own trail there. So what was that like? I mean, it was, it was tough. Just like you said, no one's ever done it before. So I I didn't really know exactly how hard it would be. Um, But I did know that, you know, I loved the game and I wanted to get back and, um, so I was, I was really determined, um, you know, to get back to who I used to be, but, um, again, it was tough because, you know, I'm the only one that's ever tried this. And so there was a lot of unknowns, but I was very determined to, to, to get back to the player I was, to the person I was. And, um, I wanted to be, you know, the first guy to do that. Right. So it, before you had mentioned that you lost your eyesight and you, some of your hearing, that was before the first surgery? Yes, yes. Yeah, it was just the um, the malformation bleeding more um, and affected more nerves. So the more nerves that it was affecting was, you know, it was affecting those those different things like the eyesight, the hearing, the balance, all that stuff was was becoming more and more affected because of the, the constant bleeding. Okay, so what was the time frame between the symptoms that you felt while you were down in spring training and from the time that you got the surgery? Um, I think it was about two weeks. I think it was about okay, two weeks. that's a significant weeks. amount of time. Yeah, yeah. So, and it was, it was tough because, you know, it's, it's obviously not overnight that I could schedule the surgery and I had to see so many doctors and um, get to the bottom of it. But, you know, I was, I wanted to make sure that whoever the surgeon was, was the guy that I trusted the most. And, I wanted to go through with this, and so it ended up being, yeah, like two weeks. Right, so it seemed like it was getting worse as those weeks were going on, right? Right, right. And then after, once it got really bad, you know, I lost my eyesight and stuff, that's kind of when everything, um, there was more of a rush on it, um, just because we didn't know how bad it was going to get if we waited another week. So um, we really tried to, we we actually did a um, a video chat, Skype call with the, um, the surgeon in Arizona. So, um, yeah, we didn't even have time to fly there and talk to him. We just wanted to know, um, can you do the surgery and, and what would it be like? So when you lost your eyesight and you, you know, were having a hard time hearing, did the doctors like reassure you that when they went in there to do the surgery that you would get that back or were you not sure if you would get that back or not? Um, I mean, he was like, he, the doctor told me that um, there's, there's a chance that obviously you never get eyesight back and there's a whole lot of other symptoms um, or, or things that could happen here. But um, he was very confident that um, he was he was good at this procedure and he was going to be able to get it out and, and you know, hopefully I would be back, um, back to normal. All right. So, I mean, you know, hearing the possible risk when you're 19, you know, how did you deal with that? Like, did you, were you nervous? Like, what were you just thinking about baseball or? You know? Yeah. I mean, initially I was thinking about baseball until he ran, um, ran through the risks and, uh, what could happen, you know, death coma, you could slip into a coma, you could be fully paralyzed. Um, 
And then we, you know, odd things like you could have the hiccups for the rest of your life. And so it's kind of a, at first I was like, I'm going to get back to the game. And then when he, he talked about the risks, I was like, oh gosh, I don't, I mean, now my life is in jeopardy. I'm not sure exactly um, how, how or if I'm going to wake up, how I'm going to feel. Right. So after the first surgery, when you did wake up, you know, what was the most difficult part of your recovery? And like, what did rehab look like for you? And like, what was kind of that progression? Um, so basically, I had three types of uh, therapy. So speech, occupational, and uh, physical. Um, the speech was just making sure that everything in my mouth was moving okay, and I could pronounce different words fine. And that was pretty easy for me. I think I didn't really get affected a whole lot there. Um, I, I slurred a little bit, but there was nothing really I couldn't I couldn't say or or swallow. Um, physical therapy um, was tough um, in the sense that a lot of my balance had been affected, um, so I was really working on really trying to learn how to how to balance on on one leg stuff like that. And um, the last was occupational therapy, which was by far the hardest, and it still is to this day. Um, that's like the, the fine motor skills, you know, picking up little pens off the ground or, or screwing in um, bottle caps with my fingertips. I just remember that was really tough um, and frustrating, but um, I got through it and I, I still do it to this day. So the fine motor skills is something that you say you're still, you still struggle with? Yeah, yeah. It's very, it's, it's really for, you know, tying my shoes, um, screwing on, still screwing on bottle caps is still not. Um, as easy for me as it used to be and um, that's just one of the things that uh, I think people take for granted is those those so easy um, you know easy things that that are easy for us to do that people take for granted because you know now it's very it's difficult for me and I know you know millions like me right and I know like I always say this I think baseball is like the hardest sport to play and like actually be good at and like make it to the professional level just because of all the different facets of the game and in particular like the eye hand coordination where you really need those fine motor skills and throwing and how much the mental game kind of plays into baseball so how did you I mean you you made yourself back you know you made your way back to the the diamond again so how did you get yourself back to swinging and hitting and throwing and doing all that stuff to be able to you know kind of get onto a, a pro team again um i just remember i just remember fighting through a lot of a lot of frustration you know there were good days and bad days and um you know it was one thing to be able to hit you know soft toss a guy lobbing the ball at you but it's a whole nother thing to be able to hit 95 100 miles an hour so there was a lot of frustration but i kind of just after that day was over i just moved on i just tried to you know turn the page and go to the next day and, and sure enough the next day would be a good one or um if it was a bad i would just same thing just move on take it day by time day by day and um really just let whatever was meant to be happen and wh where did that mentality kind of come from did, were you always like that kind of kid like i mean i was i played baseball growing up too like through high school, but I think probably my biggest downfall was what was between my ears. Cause I would like mentally take myself out of the game if I struck out or if I grounded out or something. So to make it to the level that you did and to be such a phenomenal baseball player, I'm assuming you had your mental game was, you know, you know, top notch. So 
is that just who you were? Were you working with sports psychologists throughout this time too? Like, yeah, I was, you... I'd always been a pretty driven kid. Um, I was very, um, I wanted to be the best and, you know, I worked really hard, um, ever since, you know, I can remember I was always, I always wanted to be the best and I always wanted to play for the Red Sox. And so that was kind of naturally who I was, but, um, after this brain surgery, it was, it was really tough. Um, you know, it was, it was, there's so many unknowns and I was, I wanted to be that guy that did this, but at the same time, I, I was starting to get really upset because, you know, I, I realized, you know, this might not happen. Um, so there was a little frustration, but I did talk to some sports psychologists and um, got the, you know, learn to take things day by day and, and not try to rush anything at all because this isn't a very common injury. Um, so I really, you know, learned to just take things slow and then don't get too frustrated if you have a bad day. Just move on and um, and go from there. So do you, did they tell you, like the expectation of trying to be the first to come back from something like this was kind of what was making you frustrated? Was it like a changing of your goal? Like, yeah, taking it day by day and trying to be better than you were the day before or? Um, I think, you know, I think the, the, the Red Sox are great in this sense because they said, you know, Theo, the, all the GM, the GMs, the assistant GMs, all of them said, you know, you, if you get back, great, take your time, take as much time as you want. And if you don't, you don't. Um, and so it was nice to hear stuff like that. But for me, um, there was, like I said before, it was a lot of stuff that was so easy for me early, um, before the surgery that was now really tough. So I think that was the, the stem of all the, the frustration there was, you know, I used to be so good at doing this and why can't I do it as good right now? So that was frustrating, but, um, the Red Sox organization was great because they said, you know, take your time. Do do this at your speed. We're not going to rush you through anything. Um, if you make it great, if not, that's fine too. We're not going to be upset. Right. And what was like the one thing that you like you're talking about that you're really good at, and now all of a sudden you're not? Um, I th- I mean, I think I think before the surgery, I was really a, a top notch runner. I could run pretty quick, and I, I feel like. Um, through this rehab process, I hadn't got my speed fully back yet, which was pretty normal. It was certainly getting a lot better, but it wasn't at the the point that it was before the surgery. So I think that was one of the frustrating things. Um, that was really working hard up, but it was definitely, um, it was tough, you know, being as quick as I once was. Okay. And you, do you play center field or? Center field, yep. Center field, yes. Yeah, so you're tracking balls down. You got to have that, yeah, that speed out there. Right, right. Um, so what were some of the other limitations? I know I saw one of your videos, you kind of struggle throwing. No. Yeah, yeah, I struggled throwing. I always, um, had a little different, um, sensation in my hand. Um, it wasn't like I couldn't feel my hand a hundred percent. Um, it was just a little bit, just enough. And throwing a baseball is so, it's such a fine movement. You know, you have to know exactly how hard you're gripping the ball and, and, you know, where. So that was a little tough at the beginning. Um, I got a lot better, obviously, obviously, but, um, you know, that, that was probably one of the tougher things is I didn't have, I didn't have full sensation in my hand. So I really had to, to work hard at, you know, learning how hard to grip the ball and where to grip the ball. So you had to change your grip a little bit, maybe? Yeah, well, a little bit. I had to, um, 
I had to change my grip a little bit, and I kind of always had to, to look down a little bit just to make sure that um, my hand was in the right spot. Um, just because I couldn't 100% feel it, so if you know I was holding it a little different than normal, it might it might lead to to not a good throw. Right. And did you did you have to like relearn how to walk after your surgery and stuff like? I know we're talking about you playing professional baseball again after, you know, this brain surgery, but I just don't want people to lose sight of like where you came from to get back on the field again. Oh yeah. Yeah. I had to pretty much relearn how to do everything. Um, you know, walk, talk, eat, um, use a spoon, um, drink things. And, um, yeah, so that, that was tough. I mean, cause my sensation, my balance was so thrown off from this brain surgery as it normally can be. Um, that kind of everything was, was not the same right away. You know, walking, talking, all that stuff was, was a little thrown off. So I took a, it took about two, three weeks to be able to, to learn, to relearn how to do most of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I just wanted to highlight that, like where you came from, because you know, it's one thing to have a surgery. And then I feel like what, how the way we talked, it was like, you did it like next week, you were like back on the baseball field again, but you came a long way. So yeah, yeah. Took a long time. So we talk a lot. I mean, most recoveries aren't a linear path to success. And I know I had a lot of setbacks along the way with, uh, an infection from the surgery I had and, uh, allergic reactions. And, you know, so what setbacks did you experience along the way from for your recovery um so i i had a few um minor setbacks where you know i wasn't they weren't happy with how hard my my eyelid was closing and so i had to go up and get a surgery done to put an eyelid like a little uh platinum weight in my eyelid so it would you know make me be able to blink better um little little things like that that um nothing nothing major um just little things that they wanted to make me to make sure, you know, A, I had the the best, you know, like life before before baseball. They wanted to make sure that I was gonna be healthy and I was doing things the right way, eating right, exercising, all that stuff. And baseball would come second, but there was a lot of little cosmetic things that they wanted to make sure that my quality of life would be the the priority. Yeah, and that's a common thing that comes up on the podcast as well. It's like, yeah, you gotta take care of like day-to-day life first and then go go to your sport and those skills that that right. are required there yeah. um so but didn't you have like another brain surgery as well yeah so um let's see what was it? through three years later um i was up here in uh, boston um getting mri uh just a checkup like every six months i would get a checkup um so i was out um uh, playing golf with my friends when um i got a call from my doctor and just said you need to go to Arizona and at this point I was like what are you talking about because I was feeling fine I was feeling great and there were no symptoms I didn't think anything was wrong um but he all he said was you need to go to Arizona so I went out there like three days later two days later right away and um the surgeon again was like your malformation has somehow grown back and bled again um, so I was obviously like, oh, geez, that's, that's brutal because now I'm going to have to do everything over again. Like, you know, relearn to do everything over again. And that was, that was really tough on me mentally just because 
I had made so much progress. I was doing so well and playing back to playing pro baseball that, um, you know, hearing that I was just devastated. So, so he had to do another surgery, I guess, like, that's gotta be a killer, man. Yeah, exactly. Like what you just said, like you were, you felt fine, nothing seemed to be wrong. And then all of a sudden out of the blue, you get a call saying you gotta go back and have the surgery. So, um, would you say like that was your lowest point or? Yeah, I think, I think right after that surgery, um, that was certainly, certainly my lowest point. Um, just cause there was, I just, I just knew based on how I felt that I was going to have to redo every single thing that I've done. And, um, I just didn't know if I, if I, you know, I was starting, I was 21, 22 and I, I just, I just didn't know if I could, I could handle, um, you know, going through that again. And, um, that's that I knew it would be a, a very big time uphill battle. And this, did this influence your decision to retire and like, how hard was that decision? To- yeah, that that was really tough. That certainly, um, it was, it was, again, I was, I was feeling so, you know, so poorly, um, physically, um, you know, with all my symptoms and disabilities that, you know, I kind of, I kind of had a, had a meeting with the front office and, um, I, I basically said, I don't think I can do this anymore. I don't think I can, um, I don't think I'm going to be able to get back, um, after going through this again. And they were very understanding. They certainly were like, this is beyond brave of you to even try the first time. So. Um, we're certainly, we, we have nothing but love for you going forward. And to this day, they still text me all the time, just see how I'm doing. And, um, I go to up to 10 latency games all summer. Um, but yeah, that was, that was certainly my, that was the reason I retired. I just didn't think I had it in me to do that again. And was that like a tough pill to swallow? Like just knowing how close you were, I guess. Right. Oh, yeah. Big time. I mean, because ever since I was in, you know, T-ball, I, all I wanted to do was play for the Red Sox. And, you know, I put, you know, all of my energy, my heart, my soul, everything into to getting up to the pro level and then being the best there was. And I felt like at one point I was on my way and I was I was doing real well and I was really confident in, in my ability. And um, I think others were, too. I think others could see that, you know, I was on the, the track to Fenway um, to be in the big leagues. Um, so I think that was that was tough that you know something like this I had to just you know swallow my pride here and and just say you know I can't do this anymore I just gotta I gotta give it up. Okay, and in the article that I kind of learned of your story, uh, you had mentioned that you had thoughts of suicide. I know it's more common than we like to think in professional athletes, especially when they're career is over and I know I struggled I was in a dark place for a while after I couldn't play um, football anymore and I didn't even reach or was anywhere near you know the pinnacle of the sport like you were so you know what kind of led to those thoughts and how did you manage them what were the triggers and I guess ultimately what was the turning point yeah um, I, I there was a phase there right after my second surgery um, before I before I retired that I was kind of at home, still resting, couldn't really walk or move yet a whole lot. Um, I, don't, I would just constantly, you know, ask myself, why me? Why is this happening to me? I've been, I'm, I'm, I felt like I was a good character guy and I was, I was a good person and you know, I worked so hard. I put so much into this and, you know, why is this now happening to, you know, some random 19 year old? Um, so yeah, I was, I was in a dark place there and 
I just, I just, I did, just didn't want to want to have to face what I knew I was going to have to face um, in retirement and, you know, in rehab. I just didn't want to go through that. Um, but, I, but I learned, you know, after talking to some people and friends and family and really getting a sense of, you know, I'm not, I'm not alone in this. Um, there's so many people around the world. I got letters from literally countries that, you know, out in, in Asia that I, you know, that told me that somehow my story was, was helping them or someone they know. And, and that was really all I needed to hear is that, you know, I'm not going to give up on these people because I have a, I have a story to tell and I want to, I want to help as many people as I can. Yeah, it's awesome. And I'm, I appreciate you telling your story uh, on my podcast. I'm, I'm honored. Yeah, for sure. So what has your transition to life after baseball been like? Um, and I guess what advice do you have for athletes who are making that transition, you know, possibly after a career ending, you know, injury or illness or uh, whatever it might be? Um, I, I just think that, you know, you should take that, that drive, that determination that you had in baseball. And just because your career is over or sport, whatever you're doing, just because that's over, um, doesn't mean the road the road just ends there's there's so many opportunities and um you know you have i say th- i think pro athletes or really anyone if if you have that drive that determination um you're you can be you're able to do pretty much anything you want to do i think if you really put your mind to it um the determination all that character stuff and i feel like if you all put that um towards something you're gonna reach that goal yeah, no matter what, even if there is a setback, yeah, right. you'll, you'll you'll get there. Um, so, what do you enjoy doing outside of baseball? I know you're heavily involved in baseball still, but like, what are your hobbies outside of the the sport? Um, I, you know, I, I try to do as many um things that I used to do hobby wise. You know, play golf, go fishing, um, go to the movies, hang out with my friends. I try to do uh, basically everything that I did before surgery. I don't want you know my my story to affect how I'm living and how I'm treating others and, you know, how others have to treat me. I try to be as, as normal as I can. And, um, you know, I have a great support system. And so it's, it's very easy for me to, to feel comfortable around them because they know what I went through. They know exactly what's going on. And I'm sure they appreciate me, you know, making the effort to, to hang out with them or do whatever they want. Okay. Um, and you coach today, you coach now, right? Yes. Yes. I coach, um, I coach a, uh, summer travel team this year, the 15 year olds, the Newport junior girls. Okay. And you kind of talked about, you want everyone to like treat you like, you, you know, they did before your surgeries and, and stuff like that. So, you know, if I were those kids, I know I would definitely look up to you with, you know, what you accomplished in your baseball career. So I'm just curious, like what your interaction with them is like, and you know, how has, your adversity kind of changed the way you view the game or how you coach them today? Um, the biggest thing I think is again, taking things for granted, you know, as a coach, there's, there's so many little things in this game that, you know, little kids or, or teenagers take for granted and they don't do a hundred percent. So, you know, using my story and being able to say, you know, do you got to be able to do this the right way? Um, because there might be a time where you can't and, I think just having the, the being able to motivate um, based on my story and and help help these kids um, not only become better baseball players but young men too. That's that's one of the biggest things too. Is 
you know, I don't want these kids to just be good at baseball, but not be a great person. I'd like them, you know, to be, to be equally as, as good of a person as they are as a player. Okay. Yeah. I like that. Do you encourage them to do stuff outside of baseball or? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was always a big, I helped out in the community. I, I did all the, I helped out with the special Olympics. I, you know, just get out there and, and show people that you're a good person too. Um, Cause you know, there's, there's that thing out there, you know, you see a baseball player and they're really good. You don't know how good they are. You don't know what they're like as a person. Um, so I think getting out there and, and showing people and doing things the right way off the field is, is really going to affect how people, you know, perceive you um, as a baseball player. Right. Yeah, that's great advice. And I actually just interviewed a, a former SMU quarterback and I stopped recording. It was like, this is like discussion after the, we still like our podcast interview we were just like talking and he was talking about identity and how he wishes that when he first stops you know playing that he doesn't introduce himself as the former smu quarterback he's like just focus on being like a good person and like make that your identity and right. that's kind of exactly what you just said so that's yeah. great yeah i'll never i'll never tell anyone that i should play for the red Sox um because that i mean obviously if they they know and they ask i say yes i did but I never lead with that. I never tell anyone what I used to do because, you know, that's not, to me, that's not as important as, you know, just being a stand-up guy and a nice, nice person. Dude, I love that. Um, so how do you, like, do you tell the kids that you coach, like, what happened or you wait for them to ask or? No, I, wait, I don't really I, tell anyone. Uh, I don't tell them exactly what happened. Um, a lot of the kids either know my story from their parents or, you know, they'll go on the internet and find out for themselves. Um, so I don't really explain it. They they kind of get it. Um, you know, they, they understand what I've been through and what I used to be like. And, you know, they, they watch YouTube videos of me hitting or whatever and stuff like that. So that's good stuff. But, um, yeah, they, they, they kind of do the research on their own. And um, they know that what I say um, has some impact and I know how to do things the right way. And um, so I've really never had to, you know, describe exactly what I went through to anyone. All right, cool. Uh, so how do you prioritize your health today just to stay healthy and, and on the right track? I think that, uh, you know, my health, that's number one. That's the number one priority just because there's, there's, as I've seen, there's so much that can go wrong in a, a blink of an eye. And um, if you're not, if you're not healthy, um, you know, things could turn out different. And I know when I went through these surgeries, if I wasn't healthy, if I wasn't, you know, exercising active, um, I don't know, you know, how we would have woken up from the surgeries, if at all. So I think health is, is one of my, you know, number one things um, to always keep in check. Okay. Um, good advice. Yeah, without your health, you don't really have much of anything. So yeah. uh, do you still have thoughts of like, why me every once in a while? And if so, like, how do you address those when they pop in your head? Yeah, once in a while, honestly, you know, when I'm watching TV and, and watching these uh, baseball games, I always, you know, I'll say once in a while, why me? Or that could be me out in center field. But um, at this point, you know, being 27 years old, these are on, my, my friends out there. So I really just kind of took a step back and I say, you know what, I'm just happy for Jackie Bradley or Mookie Betts or these guys that I'm good friends with. And I know how much it would have meant to me um, to get my shot up there and have success. So I just took a step back and I realized, you know what, I'm happy for them. It's whatever happened to me happened to me for whatever reason. Um, 
So I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna sulk about it. I'm not gonna be upset anymore. I'm just gonna take it day by day, be happy for for who's getting that opportunity, and uh, you know, control what I can control. Okay, yeah, controlling the controllables. That's another big one. Uh, does coaching ever trigger like the same kind of thing, or is it a different dynamic that you kind of are able to separate it differently? Yeah, I, at first, um, in my 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 first year coaching, um, stepping out onto the field was always a little weird, um, just because I had just so many memories there, obviously. Um, but after a little while, um, I kind of realized, you know, I'm not I'm not here as a player anymore. I'm here to I'm here to help, you know, fifteen young kids get better at this game. I'm not I'm not gonna be selfish about any of this and you know, this is their time and I'm gonna use what I went through and, and try to help them um, be better players and better people. Yeah, like, yeah, you, you had your moment, now you're trying to help them have their moment, I guess. Right, right. right. Uh okay. So I know you, you have uh, some tattoos. So can you explain the significance of those tattoos for us? Yeah, pretty, pretty much everything that I have tattooed on me is is some sort of a reminder of what I went through. Um, you know, one is the the date that I had brain surgery. Um, one is a uh, Live Strong band. I just always I always really like the the meaning behind that. Um, I didn't necessarily have cancer or anything, but you know, I just I just felt like you know. That was a great opportunity for me to be strong, and um, I did, and I feel like I represented that uh, the right way. Um, on my shoulder, I have uh, stadium lights kind of remind myself that, you know, I was once playing under the lights. I was once, you know, a big-name guy that, that got that opportunity, and uh, so I always wanted to have a reminder of that. Um, on my chest, I have a uh, cross that says, never give up. Um, just because, you know, uh, through this whole thing, my motto was never give up, you know, no matter what's going on, just don't, don't give up on yourself or the people around you. And, um, if you, if you have the determination, that drive that, you know, you can, you can accomplish your goals. Um, and the last thing I have was, um, I have a little like a pendant, um, that my grandfather gave my father and, uh, it just, um, it just reminds me of is you know it's a baseball scene. Um, just reminds me I wore it growing up, and um, it says Saint Christopher protect me. Um, just some I always I always wanted um, you know knowledge of if somebody was looking out for me, somebody was you know looking over me, and um, I felt like you know I was I was in a place where I needed I want um, you know I want all the help I can get, all the support I can get, and I certainly appreciate all of that and. I just felt like it was a good reminder of what I went through and and what I've how far I've come. Yeah, I really like all the the meaning behind all those. That's really cool. Uh, maybe we can get some some pictures of those, and I'll throw it in the the blog post for for this episode. Yeah, for sure, definitely. Um, so a couple more questions before we wrap things up here. Uh, I know you're pretty big into personal training too. So how did you kind of get into that? You know, fitness world and strength training. Um, I was always. I mean, um. Fitness, I think, was a big part of my life, and and when I got into pro ball, because I got drafted at um, 173 pounds, I think, and my first pro game, I was 208 pounds, and that was really the first time that I had looked into eating the right things, um, working out the right way, and I just noticed that there was such a such a huge improvement in my my physical. Uh, stature and abilities that I th- I felt like I wanted to 
be able to use that and show these younger kids that, you know, it's never, it's not something to take for granted. You do things the right way and you can see immediate results. And I wanted to make sure that, you know, kids or whoever was doing things the right way, not only weightlifting, but eating and then doing things, doing things a way to, you know, get them to reach their goals. And I felt like that was a big part of why I got into it. And I just, I continued to to do things the way that I was taught. And I just, I, I felt such a great improvement that I wanted to share that with that many people I can. Really cool. Uh, yeah, I know like for athletes transitioning to life after sports, staying active physically will definitely help your psyche as well. Right. Exactly. I just know that from, yeah, from experience yep. too. Uh, so did you play any other sports growing up or were you always a baseball guy? Yeah, you know, I always, you know, I love baseball most, um, but I did play, you know, soccer through high school, basketball through high school. Um, I played uh, Pop Warner football. So I was very active. I wasn't just, you know, zoned in on playing baseball my whole life. I wanted to, you know, I loved competing. I loved any sport, anything that I could get a chance to be active and, and compete with the team, with teammates. And um, so I played, I played a lot of sports. I, I, firmly believe in you know being a multi-sport athlete not just zoning on one sport and doing everything you can to get there because there's so many things in other sport that can help you um progress as an athlete yeah and uh what was i gonna say oh uh i remember you said pretty earlier on in our conversation that you we're pretty much injury free throughout your athletic career, correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was when I got to pro ball, I had um, a little orthoscopic surgery on my throwing shoulder. Um, nothing, nothing too major. Um, and then my first season in single A, I uh, ran it. I caught a ball in the outfield and ran into the wall um, and broke my collarbone in a half. So I just had to get that repaired. Um, but the, uh, other than those two little surgeries, there was very rarely ever anything wrong besides, you know, pulled muscle here and there. All right. Yeah. And I think that, you know, playing multiple sports might have something to do with that. At least that's kind of what research is, is showing us. Right. Right. Exactly. And do you think that playing soccer and those other sports made you a better baseball player? Yeah, I do. I do. I think, um, you know, soccer, I think really builds up your endurance, your ability to, to, be under stress and, and running around for long periods of time and um, had that aspect of it. And I think basketball had, there's a lot of agility in basketball, you know, quick movements. And I think that, you know, that'll help uh, someone re-fly balls in center field or get out of the bat, uh, the batter's box faster. So I think other sports all have different, you know, different spots where they can help you as a baseball player or in various areas, whatever your sport is. Okay, cool. Uh, so where can people connect with you on social media? Um, I am on pretty much all social media. So, uh, Twitter is rwesty25, R-W-E-S-T-Y-2-5, and I have Instagram, and that's the, the same, um, username, or I, I don't know what the name of that is, but rwesty25 again, um, and then, uh, handle, that's what they call it, handle. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, just... <laughs> Facebook under my name and I'm always open to, you know, I get, I still to this day get a lot of comments and random messages about, you know, my story and how it's helping, you know, someone in a different, different area. And it's, it's really encouraging to see that, 
you know, people haven't given up on me. Um, even though I don't play for the Red Sox anymore, uh, see that I'm in so many people's thoughts and um, how they still think about my story. Yeah, it's awesome. Thanks, Ryan. I'll uh, link all those up in the show notes. And last question, which I ask all my guests, uh, what's your definition of toughness and maybe how has that changed since, you know, after your surgeries? Yeah, um, let's see. So before my surgery, I would define toughness as, you know, just a, a strong guy that, you know, isn't, isn't really afraid of anything and, and can do whatever they want. And, you know, just, uh, I didn't really have much of a thought of it before the surgery, but certainly after the surgery, I would define it a whole different way. You know, like, uh, I feel like toughness is, any person facing, you know, any kind of adversity, uh, and being able to stare right in the eyes, and not being able to, you know, not being afraid of anything, and is willing to, to put all their energy and heart and soul into whatever adversity they're facing, and to, you know, never give up, no matter what. Um, there's certainly highs, there's lows, um, but never, you know, never give up. All right, I love it. Thanks, Ryan. That's a great definition there. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your story. And uh, like you said, like to this day, you know, your, your story inspires a lot of people and does provide a roadmap for people who have gone through what you have and other similar things to show that there is uh, light at the end of the tunnel there. So thank you. That's right. Thank you. I, uh, I appreciate you having me.